Gregorian chant, the soul of sacred music, and the body of the music you'll hear on our program, Sacred Soundings, music to deepen your faith beyond measure. I'm Al Romano, your host for Sacred Soundings, on listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, and streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. In the earliest days of the Church, there were men and women who set out to follow Christ more faithfully and to imitate Him more closely. Many of them, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, became hermits or formed religious communes of various sizes in the desert. These groups foreshadowed today's Catholic consecrated communities, also called religious orders. Many of these communities were founded in the Middle Ages and are still thriving. You've no doubt heard of some of the more prominent religious orders, like the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, and the Carmelites. One of the earliest of these communities, the Benedictines, was founded in the early 6th century by a young man named Benedict, who is now known and revered as Saint Benedict, and who truly merits the epithet, larger than life. As a well-born Roman teenager, he gave up his law school education, his father's house, and his inheritance to live in a cave, and became the greatest figure in the early growth and development of Christian monasticism. St. Benedict lived 1,500 years ago, yet to this day his ideas still appeal to men and women who, led by the Spirit, come to believe that in today's world, life in a Benedictine monastery is the only life worth living.
The Virgin Mary's Magnificat by the Scola Gregoriana Media Lenensis of Rome and Thine are the Heavens and If You Love Me by the Scola Cantorum of the Dominican House of Studies in the province of St. Joseph. St. Benedict and his twin sister Scholastica were born in 480 into a noble Christian family in Nursia, a city in central Italy, 70 miles from Rome. They were also born into a devastated, dangerous, and deeply depressing world. The great schism between Eastern and Western churches had now become final, and the fall of the Roman Empire had left in its wake social and political disorder, with pagan armies on the march and people everywhere suffering from wars. Many individuals and families, especially in the East, turned away from society and became hermits or foreign monastic communities in the desert as a way not only of surviving, but also of growing closer to Christ. Benedict, a quiet, reflective, and deeply devout Christian, was by nature drawn to monastic life. Sent to Rome as a teenager to study rhetoric and law, he was soon repulsed by the vice running rampant in the city and the unchristian behaviors of his classmates. He abruptly left the school, left his whole life behind, and moved to a small village on the outskirts of Rome. Here his life was one of prayer, reflection, and study of both Holy Scripture and histories of church fathers. When God called Benedict beyond this quiet life to an even deeper solitude, he ventured into the steep wooden hills near the town of Subiaco, 45 miles east of Rome. Wandering in the woods in search of a cave for shelter, Benedict was discovered by a kindly monk named Romanos from a small monastery located, providentially, at the summit of the high hill on which they met. Romanus must have been deeply impressed by young Benedict, for he dressed him in a plain sheepskin garment that had become the traditional robe of the eastern monks, and conducted him to a hidden cave far up on the side of the hill. For three years Benedict lived in that cave. He was fed daily by Romanus, who lowered bread and other food to him by a cord from the clifftop monastery above.
Jesus, We Adore Thee, by the Scuola Gregoriana Mediolanensis, followed by This is the Day the Lord Has Made, and Behold the Light, by the London Oratory Scuola Cantorum Boys Choir. You're listening to Sacred Soundings, a production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, and I'm your host, Al Romano. We're told that Benedict spent his days and nights in his cave, praying, doing penance, subduing his flesh, and getting a clearer picture of God's will for his future. After a time, as he moved about and people got to know him, his reputation for sanctity grew, and he gained a sizable local following. In fact, members of two different monasteries invited him to become their abbot. When large numbers of disciples began to seek him out, over time he established a dozen monastic communities in the area, each with twelve monks and a superior, and all under his general supervision. Benedict viewed prayer and work as close partners. He's quoted as saying, He who labors as he prays lifts his heart to God with his hands. So, the life in his monasteries was one of prayer and work, an existence designed to be both useful to man and pleasing to God. Pray and work, ora et labora in Latin, would become the motto of the Benedictines worldwide. It's important to understand that Benedict didn't write the rule of his monasteries for mystics, clerics, or people in search of severe self-punishment. He wrote it for ordinary laypeople, men and later women as well, who simply wanted to live in imitation of Christ. Small wonder his rule would become the norm for monastic living not only throughout Europe, but on all seven continents, earning for Benedict the title Father of Western Monasticism. Historians and many other learned people have praised St. Benedict for an even broader achievement. Eminent Catholic Bishop Robert Barron said, Perhaps more than anyone else, St. Benedict contributed to the saving of Christian culture in the West. Elaborating, he cited the Benedictine monks who sat in monastery scriptoria, rooms where they copied and recopied, illuminated and saved for future generations, historic religious documents, and important secular works the writings of Aquinas and Augustine, of Seneca, Caesar, and Cicero, and of Plato and Aristotle. Benedictine monasteries were centers of learning, which gave the world advanced concepts in agriculture and architecture, invented new shop and farming tools, and conducted research that accelerated the development of modern sciences and technologies. The appeal of St. Benedict's brand of monastic living is evident from a reliable historical report which tells us that at the beginning of the 14th century, the Benedictine order is estimated to have comprised the enormous number of 37,000 monasteries. And although, as I just pointed out, Benedict wrote his rule for ordinary laypeople, the order had, up to the time of that report, given to the church no fewer than 24 popes, 200 cardinals, 7,000 archbishops, 15,000 bishops, and more than 1,500 canonized saints. It had enrolled among its members twenty emperors, ten empresses, forty-seven kings, and fifty queens.
Within Thy Sacred Heart, and O Happy Man, a hymn to St. Joseph, by the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles. The last and greatest monastery Benedict founded was Magnificent Monacasino Abbey, which sits atop a hill more than 1,700 feet high between Rome and Naples, commanding a stunning view of three verdant valleys. The abbey was lovingly restored by attacks by barbarian Lombards in the 6th century, and Saracens in the 9th, an earthquake in the 13th, and a totally needless and tragic Allied bombing in World War II. Today, Monte Cassino remains one of the most famous monasteries and most popular international pilgrim and tourist destinations on earth. And finally, the rule of St. Benedict is one of the most widely read religious documents ever written. It's easy to obtain and easy to read. If you haven't read it, you really, really should, because it tells you very simply and reliably how to become a close personal friend of Jesus Christ. I'm Al Romano, your host for Sacred Soundings, airing every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and at 2.30 and 9 p.m. on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio.